Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. This morning while I was working out, mm-hmm. I think I finally figured out Microsoft's strategy, the operating system. Okay. So I think they deliberately are splitting out the operating system into two flavors. Maybe, maybe more, but but definitely, I definitely see Windows 10 as as we know it as the enterprise version going down the route of being a a non-persistent operating system. So what do I mean by that? I mean that it's something that'll be a baked image that you will uh, it's, you'll release either on your WVD platform or your own VDI platform uh, on, on very common architecture that you can completely control either in the WVD world or in your own data center. But it's, it's meant to run on very um, specific hardware that you, you control all the variables in that ecosystem. And then you have this flavor, which is where they're going the route for, for um, the dual screen device, however the thing's called. Um, they've got another Windows flavor called R or X or something that's coming, which is like a pared down version. I think that's the version that's going to be more consumer oriented, which will work on more variable devices. But because they've used Android for their new flip phone device, mm-hmm. it almost looks like they're moving slightly less well, moving out of the consumer space and relying more on a operating system that is stronger than the consumer space. And you may even see Windows fall away at that level. Not in the next two years, but I could see it happening over time. And then in that space, you'll be using apps more to access Microsoft products or Azure services, because at that point, who cares about the, end of the, the Windows well, the operating system for the for the consumer because mm-hmm. it's going to be replaced by Android or iOS. You know, it doesn't matter or or Linux distro. So that's what I was thinking this morning. I think that's quite a quite a play if that's what they're doing. <laughs> is it is it Windows S? That's the lightweight one, or they, I don't know if they yeah. So, so Windows different names. Windows S is the um, uh, yeah. It's got a it's got a um, like it's locked down to the point that you can't, you can't use any other browsers. You can only use, um, well, at that point it was Edge. Now it's, now it's um, uh, well, the new version of Edge at least. Yeah. Um, but but uh, there, there's another one that they've been working on. I heard it the other day, which is another sort of spin-off version, um, which I think is going to be the consumer-oriented one. And then you're going to have this, the Windows, the proper Windows 10, the big one, will be meant for, for more VDI environments with this rapid, you know, evergreen replacing of, of you know, re- rebuilds often and, and running out new patches often and, you know, the sort of rapid cycle of, of, of enhancements. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's their plan. Did you um, read something that 
sparked you in this direction or was it just uh, observations from years? Um, well, well, like most of these sorts of things, they just pop up in your head sometimes. You just, you know, I think, I think I've, I mean, I listen to, to Windows Weekly as my main sort of Windows podcast. I mean, I've got other Azure ones and that stuff, but, you know, they were saying something, well, we've talked about on the, on the show as well about how um, I really hate Windows 10 as a consumer operating system. And I think it's only designed for for where we're going in the sense of, of a of a hosted desktop as a service offering. Um, but if you if you take it away from from every user, then you don't have, or if you, if you move it out of, the, out of the end user space, then you lose a huge amount of your market share and your and your sort of cult of Microsoft following because everyone just uses Windows because that's what's the most proliferant device. Mm-hmm. And you don't, I don't think you want to, as a strategy, you don't ever want Microsoft to be known as only a, an enterprise operating system. I think that would, that would kill your business. Um, as much as they don't really focus on, on Windows in their earning calls and that kind of stuff. But the more I thought about it and the more I've seen how, how they're rolling out updates and how unstable things are, the more I've, I've thought that that's probably what they are trying to do, but they have to put something on the consumer side. So you have the Windows Windows 10S, but there's another one, which I think is called X. I think that's still coming out, which is almost designed for consumer. And I think that's the one that, because if you break if you break them apart, this is, why, this is where the sort of the epiphany came for me. If you break through a park and you have the, the Windows 10 Enterprise Edition that is designed for VDI infrastructures that can be rolled out regularly and you take away all that headache from, from the internal IT guys trying to keep up to date with, with the new, new releases. But you, but you now provide it in such a way that they can roll out the, the images quite quickly as well. Because... Your other pattern is you're trying to you're trying to keep the consumer happy, rolling out these big updates to the consumer. Most consumers don't need more than they don't need the new functionality. Often they just need the security updates. So you need to make the the, the, the operating system a lot more lightweight, and I say light in, in relative terms, or less complicated for users to upgrade by themselves. Because that's what what the challenge is right now. If, if you know, sitting through this pandemic and having people working remotely and, and, they're, and they're having issues with updates um, is very frustrating because because it's it's a really poor experience and it's an experience you can't control. And, and most of the problems are because you've got encrypted drives, which the average consumer won't do. They're not going to install BitLocker and they're not going to or, or whatever you use. Um, they're just going to run their machines, which they shouldn't, to be honest. They should be encrypting their drives, but, but typically they won't. But if you go down the enterprise route where most businesses are now, and I say most, I mean, there's no, I've got a number for this, but I know the banks have all gone VDI to some extent um, and, and the other businesses are following through with it. And also it makes sense now if, if Microsoft's offering you a, um, an Azure service that you can pay for as part of your, your E5 license or your E3 license or whatever it is, which is mm-hmm. cheaper than having laptops. And you can secure your data because that's really what you what you're paying what what you want is you want to secure your data you want to have stable environment. It becomes a really nice story to say, well, just pay pay it on your corporate card to have the machine for a month, or put it on your Azure your invoice to to run your infrastructure. We don't have to go buy you know a thousand laptops, ten thousand laptops, whatever it is. Everyone can just use their their device of choice, which is connected into a secure environment. Um, so yeah, I think it's just I think it's just a puzzle pieces fitting together just in this thing of going, well actually that would that would probably be what they're trying to get to. 
um, was what I would do if I were in there, if, if I was in, in such as uh, um, shoes, pushing yeah. the, the strings. Yeah, I mean, I can see that with, um, you know, obviously they want to move people to WVD and on to Azure. Um, that's sort of the play. So really anything that gets people to Azure is um, the move they're making right now, especially in the enterprise. Yeah, and, and you've, got, you've got to look at it from a, um, you know, what is, what is the ideal end game for them? Um, you know, if they, if they are trying to, if you're trying to manage both both ecosystems, because the consumer ecosystem is very different to the enterprise ecosystem. I mean, average consumer, if they if they're down for a couple of days, um, you know, they're only going to they're only going to complain about it to 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 someone, you know, and, and you know, they go on social media or, but they'll get it they'll get it resolved, whatever. But if you bring down a whole a whole business because you've rolled out a new patch like 2014, which was a nightmare to upgrade to. You know, that's going to affect your, your, your commercial deal with, with the business. Um, so, you're, you know, who's going to shout the loudest? Well, obviously someone that's got a lot of seats. Uh, so just, yeah, just like I say, the epiphany. This makes sense to me. Um, we'll see what happens. Sort of one of those things. Let's see where we are in five years' time. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this space. So how is your um, personal Linux journey going? Are you still playing around with that? I am. I am. I've actually been playing around with it today a little bit here and there. I'm finding a few challenges. It's not It's not as easy as I hoped it would be. And I think that's just the, the, the reality of um, moving to a different ecosystem. And a lot of the apps that I use daily don't exist in the Linux system, which is very frustrating. Um, so as going to a, a vanilla distribution doesn't work, um, off the bat because, you know, they're not, they're not as popular as Windows 10 or, or the Mac OS. So what I am seeing is that most of the apps that I want are on Mac. So I've been rebuilding my Mac, um, laptop that I gave my wife a while ago, um, to be maybe my device that I moved to for general things. Uh, and then, then I'm basically going to work between my iPad and the Mac, and then that should should get me off uh, completely. And it's little things like like Notion, which I use for everything, that doesn't have a, a Linux app. Uh, OneDrive doesn't have a Linux app. Um, the um, Dropbox that I use sometimes also, also doesn't have a Linux app. So there's a lot of, but there's a lot of um, unofficial apps. So I'm trying those things out. If they, if they work, then I'll try it out just, just for a period of time. I think. You know, the um, the world is moving to a more Linux environment. If you look at it, generally speaking, you know, all your IoT devices are built on, on a Linux environment. Um, a lot of applications for years have been hosted on Linux. Linux has always been the most stable thing. And and the actual, you know, general UX experience on a Linux device is, is actually better than Windows 10, uh, if I'm honest. It's a lot simpler, a lot cleaner. But it does miss a couple things. Like like there's no like Windows, you press the Windows key and you get the search thing, you can just search for something and use it. I haven't found that on Linux per se. Um, you know, you've got to kind of tweak it a little bit. So I think it's a little, a little bit of a hobby horse, but you know, it's not far away. Um, I mean, what I'm finding interesting, and this is also based on the discussion with Jed, is the performance difference is crazy. I mean, the, the machine that I've, that I've set up for Linux, the battery life is, is double what it was in 10. Um, 
and zero to boot in it's it's as good as a Mac in the sense you just open it up and you're there. You know, the Windows device is still three, four seconds sometimes. Um, you still got to press a few buttons to get in, you know, because it's not, it's not, it's just not that user experience you're looking for. So we'll see. Um, I'm trying very hard to move. But, um, the other problem is I, I don't always have the time to to go and do the research. Uh, and, and things like the other thing that I that I struggled with the other day is I wanted to do a whole bunch of pivot table stuff in Excel, and I just wasn't confident that that LibreOffice could do it. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Like, can, can you do that kind of stuff? Yeah, Excel is one of those apps that's really hard to replace with anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you need it for that, you know, anything really other than being simple tables. It's like, yeah, I can't really use sheets or something else. Exactly. Exactly. So, so the other thing that I wanted to chat to you about is I've been rereading two books. Um, one was called The Goal. The other one is called oh, The Lean Startup. Um, and both of them are quite interesting, specifically where I am with one of my projects at the moment, is around how you organize when, you, when you're building a, something. And, and, and the goal is, is about a, it's a concept of the theory of constraints, which means you can only, if you think about it, and, the, and the example that he, and it's a book worth reading because he actually, it's a very good story the way it's written. Um, it, it takes you through the, the factory process of building widgets. You know, obviously product or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but, but the problem with the book is it doesn't really cross the line into software development, which is where I was kind of trying to get my head around. Like, so, so you read the story, and you're like, okay, that's great. I understand theory of constraints and, and what you're trying to do. And, and the sort of um, this this couple concepts, but but the one concept is 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 how you order things. Uh, and it goes contrary to what you think is, is a logical assumption. Um, so, for example, ordering things, you order it by the slowest thing first, because the slowest thing needs to be done first before you can do all the quicker things, and it, and it kind of speeds you up. Um, the other thing, which is is around batch sizing, how much work do you do um, to to get something out? Do you do uh, things one, one, to, um, one to the end or, or, or single item finish first and then you do the next one? Or do you do, um, maybe an example would be filling envelopes. Do you fill all the envelopes to the same point and then you write the address and then you seal them? Uh, or do you finish one envelope and then do the next envelope, the next envelope? And it's these sort of, you know, they have the contradictions in terms because some people say, well, if you, if you fill all the envelopes together, you, you're obviously quicker because you're doing the simple tasks. You know, you're doing all the filling at the same time. You're doing all the labeling at the same time. You're doing all the sticking at the same time. But your problem is if you find a problem at the end of the process, you've now got to go and unfill all the envelopes that you filled up. So it's those sorts of contradictory terms you've got to get your head around. So that's where the two books combine and be quite nice because the Lean Startup talks a lot about experimentation and, and getting the metrics right. The goal talks about the metrics, and it talks about getting you know these other concepts, ordering things, and batch sizing. But the lean startup kind of crosses the, the bridge into software development or building product, which is where I'm at the moment. So yeah, both both really good books, really good ones to read. Um, if you're looking for something something to read, <laughs> oh, it sounds interesting. So they both sort of um, more theory based than like. Um, you know, the author's personal experience? Yeah, so, so the, the, the goal is, is theoretical. Um, you know, he's trying, to, he's trying to convey the concept 
Um, whereas the, the, the lean startup is actually a combination of both. So the guy who writes um, the lean startup, Eric Reese or Rice, he talks about one of the startups that he worked in and what they had to deal with. Um, and then he also looks at other examples. So he'll, you know, his, his product, what they did and where they did well or badly. And then you'll look at an example wherever else and, and it'll be, you know, whoever it is. So things like, um, like the, the envelope example is a good one where he's explaining how the envelope thing is, it's, you'd think people would say that the productivity gain would be that you're doing the same task in repeat and repetition, but actually the benefits you get from doing one, one revolution complete, which is to pick the envelope, fill the envelope and, and write the label on it. Is better because you identify problems quicker, you get the results quicker as well, which means you can push it out. So you can, you know, if you think about doing a big mailing out to a thousand people, the minute that envelope's ready, you can send it out. Whereas if you're doing it batching and you're trying to do what you, what everyone think is a logical way of batching, where you fill them all together, then you label them all together, you stick them, then you send them, you have to wait till the thousand are finished before you send them out. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to be posting out, let's say, let's say you finish 10 envelopes a day, and you start sending out, you know, the next day, 10 out of a row, you may realize that after 50, that, that actually the project's finished. So you stop. So your cost is, is, is cut off at that point. But if you did a thousand and then you sent them out, well, you committed now. You, you've already spent the, the time, the resource, the, the money. Um, and if you have to pull the plug, then, you've, then you've, you you can't do that. So that's the sort of thing. That's where I have in the book now. I'm about about 60% through, but that's much more practical, um, which is probably why I'm enjoying it a bit more because whilst the goal is written really well, and it's written as a, a story in the day in the life of a, of a plant manager. And he's also going to go through this exercise of re-educating people against um, some fallacies like if you're in a factory, the, the machines always should be working. And if they're not, if they're not doing what's a priority item, they should just be doing what they do. So, you know, building surplus, building inventory of, of parts. And he's actually saying, well, no, that's a waste because you not only do you waste the time building the machine, building the, the inventory, but that inventory sits on the floor and it costs you money while it sits there and it costs you space. And it costs, because every time you're trying to navigate the factory floor, you've got to navigate all this extra surplus of stuff you don't need. So it's again, coming back to this concept of build the most important thing end-to-end first, and then build the next most important thing, end-to-end first, and don't split your resources and, and make everyone focus. And that correlates quite nicely into a dev team where you're saying, we've got a dev team of you know one, two, three, five people, whatever it is, but they need to work on that component, the most important component first, get that finished, and then do the next one, and get that finished, and then get the next one. Instead of having you know teams that are spread out doing too many things, um, and you're trying to bring them back together later on because they'll always be out of sequence. And, you tr- and it's all about getting that sequence right. Yeah. No, I, that that makes sense to me. That is interesting um, because I, I think, yeah, it is kind of unintuitive versus the way of, I mean, I'm just thinking about even the assembly line, which I guess sort of combines both envelope approaches to some extent because you have the machine or the person doing the repeat task, which which has that efficiency of, you know, being designed for that or being accustomed to whatever part in the process they're doing. Um, but then you are getting, you know, complete items one at a time, not, um, you know, building pieces and then finishing them all at once. It's not like you have a team of five who are responsible for building cars end to end. And, you know, you replicate that team across the floor. It's you have that whole, chain that goes down so 
Mm. Yeah, and it does work. I mean, if you think about it from, from the technology world, mm-hmm. um, that's often where, where, where teams get hurt because they're trying to do too many things. Mm. And I know we're all guilty of it. I mean, I'm sitting with it, with it now, and, and we, we've, we've have split the team to work on two two different pieces of functionality. But but the reality is that that, that whilst it's a conscious decision, is they those two pieces are completely distinct from each other. So they have to be finished. They're finished, um, and we try to reduce it because that's the other thing: you reduce the dependencies as much as possible, and at least be aware of what your dependencies are. So, for example. Um, you know, typical resource that, that's a specialist skill would be a graphic designer. Because the graphic designer can only work on one component at a time. So you need to know which one, you know, he or she needs to work on first so they can set that piece up before the developer um, starts or be aware that the developer's going to get to a point where they're going to need the graphic designer. And then you're sort of trying to find the right balance to say, well, you know, when does the graphic designer get involved versus um, with one component versus the other? So that you can still have the same end date, um, mm. which which sometimes gets forgotten because you don't sometimes think of those dependencies. What happens usually is that developers work on something, they both get to the same point, and then they say, "Oh, now we need to go for design," and the graphic designer go, "Oh, well, which one do I work on first? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just it's so interesting because you know these it's it's good to read books a few times because sometimes you read the book and it's just interesting to read it at the time, but you don't really apply it. And sometimes you read it you're like, "Holy crap, this is exactly what I'm dealing with." I'm so glad I'm reading this book because it's giving me ideas. You know, and it talks about things in, in, the, in the lead startup line, you know, A-B testing, um, you know, running out functionality. But, but also what I'm really finding interesting is the metrics because there's, there's vanity metrics. The vanity metrics, you know, look at a podcast, for example. Um, how many downloads do you have? Well, you know, it's nice to know that you had a good month that you had, you know, 100 episodes downloaded. That's, that's great. But does that really tell you anything about your podcast? Well, no, nothing. It doesn't tell you anything. But it's a much more interesting thing to know, and we don't unfortunately get those stats, is does someone listen all the way through? Um, do they do they listen? Are they subscribed or not? You know, we don't get, you know, we don't know how many subscribers are, we just see that we've, we've got a whole lot of downloads. But that's the important stuff that you want. And then you can start working on, on ways to to make it more sticky. So things like potentially running a survey at some point and asking, you know, when when someone listens to the episode, click on this, you know, answer the survey. Why did you just, what, what made it interesting? Was it, was it the title? Was it because we interviewed a guest? Was it because um, it's a topic that's important to you right now? You know, those sorts of little bits of extra information will help us you know, improve the, the quality of the, 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 the product, which is, is the episode. Yeah. We can look at, uh, through Spotify and Apple Podcasts, actually, the listen through time to see okay. when people drop. But see, I only, I only really look at what Transistor gives us. I don't really look at yeah. that. Yeah. Do they not have that? No, I haven't seen it. Strange. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a nice aggregated metric because, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm looking at more, the, the reason why I look at the downloads is just to make sure the episode's getting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, it's, it's, it's just nice to see the numbers going up. Um, right. But it's, it's more when you get someone that you speak to that, that sends you a message or or you chat to him and call and go, oh, yeah, I listened to your episode on, on whatever it was, gamification or, or information security or something. I really enjoyed that. It would be more, it'd be great to hear more about what you think on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the, the difference, I guess, in some senses. Yeah. Yeah, I'm at time too. So. Uh, we'll chat on Thursday. Yeah. Sounds good. Have a good All day. Right. All right. Cheers, 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Becknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.